Hello, and welcome to Start By Listening, the podcast about sexual harm. We are centered on educating and empowering our Western Kentucky communities. Our goal is to transform the way we talk about sexual harm. Transformation begins by listening to understand. We talk so you can listen today and change the world tomorrow. Well, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you all might be. Welcome to Start By Listening. I am so excited to be here with you today. Um, We're in Kentucky, and it is a little chilly on this November day. And we're doing things early for December um, because, you know, we got vacation time and holiday time. Um, But yeah, it's raining in Kentucky today. And today I am joined by my co-host, Miss Marcy Voris. And she is back again to give us all things spicy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I thought that might make you chuckle. And we are both working from home today. So if you hear dogs barking, if you hear phones ringing, cats meowing, just know it's just the day and the life of a therapist working from home. Yes. (laughs) Very true. <laughs> a to the men about that. And I'm sequestered in my sunroom in my home. And I mean, we're on Zoom to be able to do our podcast today. So the readers can't see my jungle, you know, behind me. But um, I really like sitting in my room, in my sunroom and being surrounded by my 50 plants and my trees. And it just makes my nervous system just feel hmm, so nice and safe. It actually helps my nervous system too, because it reminds me there's still growth going on and it's not necessarily all doom and dreary because it does look like that outside. Um, I still have the birds and squirrels. I have, they come to my window and I have feeders right out my windows to be able to watch them. So I do too. Like if I'm in my home office, which I should have probably just made the sunroom my home office, honestly, but um, if I'm in my home office, I've got the bird bath out there. I've got um, Penelope. She's one of my trees that I've named. She's a, a beautiful red maple. We have five um, bird feeders and two hummingbird feeders. Well, the hummingbird feeders aren't out there now because hummingbirds are gone, but But yeah, the squirrels come, the birds come, occasionally the rabbits. So it's, it's so nice just to look out my office window from home and just see all those beautiful micro moments of, of uh, beautiful ventral energy that just, yes, it's my, it is honestly my favorite thing about working from home is being able to look out on my backyard and look at nature and the squirrels and the birds. Um, we have several squirrel feeders and bird feeders. Of course, the hummingbird feeders gone for the year, but mm-hmm. um, that was nice when they were coming too. But yeah. I also, you know, since I am one of those people about Christmas, um, have already put up my trees and uh, I have <laughs> one 
in my room and uh, I get to look at it too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we haven't put anything up yet and um, we haven't had that discussion if we're going to this year. We usually have that every year around Thanksgiving. Like, do you want to put up a Christmas tree this year? Do you not? And there was a couple of years where um, we were just dealing with some heavy grief and loss with the death of um, our pets. And so we just didn't feel Christmassy to do that. Yeah. So, but yeah, who knows what this year will bring if we will. Absolutely. Well, I just want to also let people know I'm snotty and I'm stopped up because here in Kentucky, uh, with the changing of seasons and because we live in a valley, holy cow, my sinuses and my allergies are out of control. So if I sound like a frog going through puberty, you guys just know it's Kentucky allergies. Absolutely. I think we all have them right now. Oh, yeah. And I don't have a segue beyond that to our topic for today, but I am so excited because this month we are focusing on trust. And so the first podcast of the month is going to be kind of just describing what is trust. And then the second podcast of the month is going to be the application part. Like, okay, so how do I begin? to trust people? How do I begin to trust myself? So that's kind of where we're going in the future. But today, we're going to talk about the very abstract, elusive, and very difficult to begin to understand word trust. What do you think, Marcy? I think that abstract is an excellent description of trust. It is extremely abstract. And it's so interesting because we put that word, you know, with our, even with our kids, like we start them out at such a young age of, oh, trust, trust, or, you know, I've got to be able to trust you, or you can trust me, like, like we expect everybody to know, but I don't know that it's ever really been defined very well. That's so true. Like I can remember being a kid and my mom, if we were out in public, she would say, now, if you ever get lost from me, I want you to go up to one of the store clerks. Or if you see a police officer, you know, or a firefighter, I want you to go up to them and you can trust them and they will help you find me. And, you know, as a kid, you, most of us just take for granted whatever our parents say, right? But as I've gotten older and I've learned about trauma and I've learned about my own healing journey on trust, when I look back, I, I still even now have a difficult time being able to verbalize what it feels like or what it is. Mm -hmm. I do too. And, you know, you think about getting into some old cobwebs in my brain of going back to some 
basic psychology stuff and human development, you know, that's one of Erickson's stages is trust versus mistrust. And that's so early on, like, and I guess that, you know, we start, if you look at it from that way, you know, the explanation is, is that you start to understand um, and be able to know that the people around you are going to take care of you. So in, in our trauma world, I think it's that whether that safety was there or not, like, you know, whether or not we really were provided food and shelter and those basic needs. Um, and I guess that, you know, really that's where we begin to build upon it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then when you throw in trauma or when you throw in big hurts, mm -hmm. I mean, it just kind of, it makes it just so much harder, like to, to be able to put your faith in someone else. You know, it really does. And I am so glad that you brought up Erickson's stage of development of that trust versus mistrust, because I hadn't even thought about that as a discussion point, but it really is because when we are born into this world, we have to rely upon our caregivers and it is an innate sense of trust, right? That we will be clothed, we will be fed, we will be loved. And for many of us who are survivors of trauma, um, that type of trust did not get solidified at that early age. Mm -hmm. And then what does that do to our nervous system and how does that set us up in the future? Exactly. Because if we cannot, if we did not get what we need at that early stage and learn the trust part of it, then we weren't able to regulate. We weren't able to establish that safety. And it ended up, I mean, it's just one of those things I think then it just sets you up for a lot harder of a road ahead of you. Like, mm -hmm. because you don't have some of that basic needs met and you aren't able to feel like the world is going to be safe and that the world is going to take care of you. That is beautifully stated. And so then what our nervous system comprehends is that I can't trust and maybe also because you know with children it's we don't have the ability to understand that's a them problem not an us problem that's going on it then becomes I am not trustworthy as mm -hmm. well and then that gets stuck inside of our nervous system on that loop of, um, gosh, I don't know. I'm sitting here trying to think of not being able to trust because it's not safe. I'm wondering if that would be of a dorsal energy level. 
versus sympathetic. It could be sympathetic and having you be in that survival fight flight all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can't trust your surroundings, you can't trust people to help provide you what you need, then I think a lot of times people get stuck in just fight or flight to try to figure out their brains trying to help them be safe in whatever way that it seems appropriate for their brain. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Now that I've listened and you've talked that through, that makes a lot of sense to me from that polyvagal lens of understanding the nervous system. And I don't even know if many of us walking around in society today could even verbally explain what trust is. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I know the clients that I work with, they have a really difficult time explaining trust. And then I have a difficult time explaining what a regulated, healthy sense of trust is. I'm sorry, I, I've just got a rupture in my nervous system because my little my little chihuahua is over here digging on her bed. I'm sure y'all can hear it, but she's just digging away. Sorry, y'all, rupture. Let me prepare. Let me take a deep breath. Yeah, but just trying to explain what it is, I just stumble. Mm-hmm. I do too. I mean, we we want to have a world that is very concrete. We want to live in that black and white world and we don't. We live in shades of gray and color. Mm -hmm. In something like trust, the way that we would like to be able to explain it is in those black and white terms. And it's just not. And that's when it gets more difficult because if you, even though, you know, probably people look at us and be like, you're a therapist, you should know this. Yeah. But I don't, I think I struggle with explaining it in black and white terms so that those that are in that concrete thinking can be able to understand it. Yes. We definitely want black and white. We want a very nice definition. Um, and it's just not that simple. Like the way I begin to try to explain it is trust comes from that really deep and sacred place within us. That is what we call t intuition. And I'll explain to survivors of sexual assault, you know, when we have placed our trust in people who have violated our trust, it really causes us to think about, gosh, maybe I don't know how to choose trustworthy people. Maybe I'm not trustworthy. And so the beginning thought is what I like to tell people learning to begin to trust yourself 
learning to begin to listen to that little voice within, that intuition, following what it's telling you, making those choices from that knowledge of what is in your best interest, which grows self-confidence, which grows self-esteem, which then leads us to have the ability to begin to figure out, is this person trustworthy or not trustworthy? Mm -hmm. And I'll start off by like, and I'll say just a little something simple. Um, and I like to work backwards sometimes to get to the front. And I'll say, let's talk about a time where you didn't trust yourself and you did the opposite of what you were thinking and what happened. Mm -hmm. And most people can readily account many times in their life, right? Where, oh man, I didn't do this and this is the outcome, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then I begin to say, okay, this week, when you have that voice, just think about if I choose to listen, what might the possibilities be? Mm -hmm. And it could be something simple. We're not talking about like earth shattering milestone decisions. I'll start off with something very simple. Like what might you like to eat? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, what might sound nourishing for your body? Um, whether to go to the store or stay home. Just, you know, learning to trust your choices. Mm -hmm. Learning to trust your decisions. And people sometimes will look at me like I'm crazy. Like, you, you want me to make a decision? Like, I'm like yeah. Something small. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you think about like when we teach parenting, um, especially parenting children of a young age, we teach that you allow the child to have control of their choices. Now, with that, you give them parameters of choices you can live with, but like, mm -hmm. You ask the child, do you want to wear this blue shirt today or this red shirt? And so they learn to be able to make those choices and to be okay with trusting themselves. And that's building up trust that they're like, okay, you know, I can make these decisions and I can listen to me. And that lays that foundation. Mm -hmm. So I think that what you're saying is, is spot on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just really simple little things um, because those simple little things lead up to those really big things, mm -hmm. you know, like um, getting into a new relationship with a romantic interest and perhaps if our track record is sketchy, right? Mm -hmm due to our trauma background. Um, now we can add to those building blocks and we can look at consistency of an individual's behaviors, their words, 
and their accountability, right? But if we lead with those really big things, I think that can be overwhelming and just a little too scary. Absolutely. And, you know, I think when I'm trying to explain trust and especially when you're bringing in other people, I use a visual imagery that actually, I'll be very honest, a client taught me one time, um, but it's, I think it's fantastic. So, you know, you are the tower in the center of a castle. Hmm. And in that tower is you and everything you know and everything that you believe completely, you know. And then through, you know, who who is privileged enough to know who's truly in that tower? And we talk about how, who that you trust that can get in the tower. And then we talk about how, you know, there are people in our lives that we do trust, but they're not, they're not to the tower, but maybe they fit in the courtyard. And then we talk about that, you know, we just kind of keep taking it different levels of, you know, of getting into that castle Mm -hmm. as to where where to trust people and like you know eventually when we get you know outside the castle walls you know these are people that you know you may know but you don't you don't have that level built up with him um Mm -hmm. to be able to let them into more of the interior levels of the castle so you know when you were talking about asking those questions you know it it occurred to me that you know that's a great place to start is, you know, start in that tower working on you and then go from there with the visual imagery of, you know, who you're, who you're going to allow where in your, in your castle. Mm, That's beautiful. I love that. That's a really nice concrete imagery to utilize to, to understand the different levels of trust. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because you're right. There are different levels, you know, Um, because I trust that when I go to McDonald's for French fries, which I love, I trust that the McDonald's workers are going to give me hot, delicious French fries. Exactly. But I mean, I don't share intimate details of my life with them because they're providing a service, you know, for me. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think then it's also, you know, looking at the castle, then you can open up conversations of, okay, you've known this person for a month. Do you, do you think it's appropriate that they are in your tower or would they be more appropriately at, at, you know, a courtyard level or um, just inside the gate level? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, I try to use that as a place to question, you know, where, where people should be in, in, in your world or, you know, yeah. when you think that maybe, okay, maybe I'm oversharing and that's a red flag for me and I need to back off, um, 
and maybe even including some of the red flags, you know, on that imagery. I mean, a lot of times we'll draw it out and then you could even include on there, like make a red flag and write the red flags that you have that mm -hmm. say, Hey, I'm going too fast. Mm. Well, I really like that. Yeah. Because, um, I can remember, especially in my early 20s, you know, just zooming in and just letting people into my castle that, you know, upon further reflection and after a short period of time, I realized, woo, they really don't deserve to be in my castle. Exactly. And when we are stuck in that fight or flight, sometimes I think it's easy to grasp upon anyone that's close by mm -hmm. because <clears throat> we're built to have connections like that we are not built to do this all alone yeah. we're built for connections and I think when we are really in that fight or flight in trying to survive sometimes we latch upon whoever we can mm -hmm. and knowing you know knowing what I know now as opposed to what I knew 20 years ago. I know that that's not always the best strategy and to be mindful of the state of nervous system I'm in so that I can make the best decisions on who to trust, who to let in. Mm -hmm. Oh girl, if I had the knowledge at 46, of when I, so hold on. If I had the knowledge at age 20 that I have now at 46, ooh, I'd tear it up. Yes. <laughs> there would be no holding back, right? But that's not the way life works. Oh. And I'm glad it's not, you know, I am thankful that I lived and learned a whole lot of lessons before I got to mm -hmm. my age now. And can appreciate the better spot that I am in mm -hmm. because of going through and working through my journey. Yeah. That is, that's very true. Yeah. I wouldn't be who I am today had I not gone through the adversities and the mistakes and the successes as well. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm also just thinking about trust in general. And we have that intimate levels of trust, you know, like with people we love and care about. But I keep, for some reason, I keep being drawn to when we have to place our trust in complete strangers during what our nervous system perceives as life and death moments. You know, like medical, mm -hmm. like, you know, if anyone has ever been to the emergency room, it's this pretty, pretty scary thing to go through. Even if you're not, you know, like having a heart attack or a stroke um, or have been in a, a very horrible, you know, car crash and things like that. 
I'm just thinking, and, and this is me as a nurse who's worked in an emergency room as a social worker and been around, you know, all kinds of things too. Um, it's still very scary being a patient, even when I know the workings of an emergency room and putting my trust in a doctor or a nurse who I don't even know what their name is. Mm -hmm. So I think about that level of trust because usually when we go to the emergency room, we're in pain, right? Right. That's like the number one reason why people go to the ER. Then I think about, holy Hannah, what level of trust does a sexual assault survivor have to have to walk through like our front door, right? Mm -hmm. After being called by a stranger on the phone, hey, you know, you're next on the waiting list. Um, I'm a therapist with New Beginnings and um, wanted to just see if you would still like services, right? To walk through the front door, to go sit in a small space, because our offices are not big, and to have enough trust to just stay in that room for 50 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Like when I think about the level of heaviness of that, like in this moment, like even in my nervous system, like I'm feeling like it's really like heavy pressure sitting on my chest, just thinking about the vastness of that. Yeah, and I, it's, we are so lucky as therapists that we get to meet people on their journeys and have just a small glimpse of their life. I mean, it, it is truly an honor and privilege. Um, and I always tell, you know, thanks to our fearless leader, Becky, um, I always tell my clients, you don't know me. I don't want you to trust me right now. I want to earn your trust. Mm -hmm. You know, I want us to be able to work together and to get you to a point where you feel that you can trust me. Mm -hmm. And so I try to put that out there pretty quickly um, to maybe take away some of that heaviness. You know, you don't need to come in here and tell me your life story right now or anything that's happened. You know, let's just see where you're at and let's go from there kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that most appreciate that. It's almost like there's this sigh of relief. Like, you know, they're in pain, they're scared, they're afraid, mm -hmm. all those words. And they come in and just to say, hey, I'm just going to meet you where you're at. I want to earn your trust. Um, I think goes a long way. It does. Um, you know, I've worked with some individuals for a long time and I've worked with some individuals a short time. 
And I definitely see a correlation between the amount of trauma that one has experienced in their lifetime and the ability to trust, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been in my experience that those with less trauma trust more easily in the therapy process to begin with Mm -hmm. versus sometimes I have spent a couple of years just building that trust. Yes. Um, And now that I have that working knowledge about the nervous system and the, the way I do therapy through the lens of polyvagal theory and teaching that. And I've noticed too, that clients um, are more, what's the word I'm looking for? More accepting of the ventral energy Mm -hmm. that I'm putting out. Yes. Um, And I think, I think that that's such an important part of it is that we can um, help them Mm co-regulate. And that builds trust. Yeah. Because this is the way I see it too. You know, people keep coming back to see their therapists usually because it's a benefit to them, right? Right. They're, They're getting something. Most clients will say by the end of the session, gosh, I feel so much better than when I walked in. Mm -hmm. So the way we build that trust is through that co-regulation of emotions and feelings. And we build the trust by helping people to emotionally feel better, which also makes them physically feel better. And when they start to feel better, then it's like, oh, okay, this person has my best interest. They are helping me. I know this because I feel it inside my body Mm -hmm. and I'm able to cope with life better. Just like when you go to your doctor, you know, and let's say you, you share with your doctor that you are um, really struggling with anxiety or depression, right? And especially now during this pandemic and the doctor says, well, let's, let's, let's try some medicine. Let's see if some medication will help. Mm -hmm. And you take that medicine and you're doing other things too. Cause we, we know that therapy with medication has one of the best outcomes, right? Right. And when you start to physically feel that betterment, you're like, okay, I'm, I trust my doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to help me. They're going to listen to me. And that builds the ability to trust others, I, I would say, and to trust ourselves for knowing we were needing assistance and help with something. And we knew that we couldn't do it on our own. And, you know, maybe that's the definition that a more concrete definition is the belief that another person 
will help you meet your needs mm. is what um, is maybe what would be a good definition for trust. Oh, boom. Look at that. We just, yes, that's a lot better than Webster's Dictionary. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even want to look it up before we started. I was like, eh. It's probably not going to be one that I like. So full disclosure, I did, and I read it like. Oh, five times. Oh, Hold on, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. That's Lola. She's she's got a her her nervous system is having a moment. <laughs> but you're right that that is a beautiful definition of trust. It is the belief. Say that again for me. I want to make sure I get it. The belief that we can trust someone to help us with meet our needs. needs. Meet our needs. There you go. The belief that we can trust someone to help us meet our needs. Because if you take it back, like, and I pulled that out of my brain because I was thinking back as you were talking to when you go back to the trust versus mistrust stage, that's exactly what you're doing. You are learning that other people can help you meet your needs. Mm -hmm. And so I think that maybe that's that basic definition is the ability to believe that other people will help meet your needs. And, you know, the mistrust is people didn't. And that's when we get into the, you know, I've got these set of experiences that say people aren't going to help me. And I think that's when we get stuck mm -hmm. in that survival mode of we have to figure a way out to do this ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm thinking back to last summer when I went through, um, my NARM training, neuro-effective relational model. And in season one, I spent a whole podcast talking about NARM because I really, really did love it. You know, and it was a little different than um, Erickson's stages of developments, but it looked at there are certain ages that if you, and I think it was between the ages of nine and 12, that if you experience a, a significant trauma during those ages, you are more likely to mistrust. And individuals who've had that level of trauma at that age are less likely to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you know, it really, if you think about it, like, sometimes like those kids that we work with that are between that age in a little and a teenager they can be some of the most difficult to earn their trust mm -hmm. and it's probably going back to what you just said is that they don't believe that people can be trusted that they've had something happen in their experiences tell them otherwise and so I think it makes it even more critical for them to find someone that, that they can trust 
and know that there are people out there that are helpful and good and not everyone is what they've experienced. Yeah. That is a, uh, that is very true. And you know, that mistrust, uh, rightly so, right. Cause the nervous system was not supported and was not kept safe. Um, and to, I think to begin to understand that for some people, not trusting is safe. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps them safe. And so they develop this sense of hyper independence, mm-hmm. you know, because I can't ask for help because when I have in the past, it didn't happen. I can't ask for my needs to be met because when I needed them to be met, they were not met in the past. And so there's a learning also that negative cognition of I can't trust Mm -hmm. and the nervous system is like, yeah, that is not safe. Well, and you know, to lean back into our previous podcast on feelings with that comes some pretty icky feelings. And as we talked about, we as humans like to avoid the icky feelings. So when you already have experienced this mistrust, Mm -hmm. you add in there icky feelings that you don't want to feel. It just reinforces the mistrust. And it's like, nope, not going to do that. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm just going to do it all on my own. Even though that is leading to um, issues of itself. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm just, again, thinking back to my NARM training and one of the earliest um, forms of attachment is connection, right? Especially at uh, infancy. And then there's disconnection. And so I think about all of us as human beings that experience birth trauma, where our needs were not met, that we experienced a medical trauma, a physical trauma, an emotional trauma. And the only way to survive that lack of connection, lack of trust was to disconnect. Mm-hmm. And so we have millions of people walking this planet whom are disconnected and who don't trust from something that happened to them just in thinking about like just birth trauma. And they may not even be able to remember that. No, nor would, nor maybe would even parents think about that as being a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like my mom talks about how they used forceps to bring me out of her birth canal. Mm-hmm. My God, that's pretty fucking traumatic. Mm-hmm. But nobody thought about that 40 years ago. And I would dare say many, many people 
do not think about just our first entrance into the world as being traumatic for our bodies in mm-hmm. our nervous systems through no fault of any one. Right. Because they're just trying to get the baby and mom safe. But, you know, it reminded me when you were talking about that, um, my youngest, when she was nine months old, um, had RSV and it was very serious and was hospitalized for five days. And all of the doctors and all the nurses would come in in like full gear, like almost like what you see now with COVID, that's what they would wear. Like they'd have a gown on and gloves and, you know, because they didn't want to spread it to anyone else on the pediatric floor. From that time until, well, I still say it's it's very much there. She has a distrust of medical professionals. And as I learned about trauma and as I you know, read more and understood more, Mm -hmm. you know, her body and brain took that as an extremely traumatic experience. These people in, you know, Mm -hmm. gowns and masks and poking and prodding and everything else and not understanding, plus not being able to breathe, um, you know, was, was scary. And since then um, has always had issues with doctors and nurses. And so, you know, we've just been fortunate that we work through those. We let the medical professionals know. And we're also fortunate to be in a smaller town where, you know, when she builds trust with a provider that we can stay with them. So, yeah, it's that I just thought of that example as you were talking but it's so true. And mm-hmm. we may not even know, like, I don't think she could accurately describe why she doesn't trust doctors. Yeah. I am. And, you know, most parents aren't going to have the knowledge that I do because of the field and to be able to figure it out. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things that, you know, we just have to be mindful and learn more because you know, it could be very, it could be much difficult for her now if, you know, I was just like, this is a doctor trying to help you just shut up and do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, we talk about it, we work through it, we face, you know, the fears and yeah. accommodate. Yeah. Wow. Look at this light bulbs going off all over the place, right? I know. <laughs> So, you know, it really does go deeper the more we think about it. Yes, it is about our nervous system. It is about our bodies remembering, right? Even if we don't have a working memory, our bodies will always remember. And to me, it's just even more awareness as a provider of services in the community that trust has so many levels of spiciness and so does mistrust. Mm-hmm. And 
to just begin, I think, to have compassion and that awareness is that most people are walking around like a raw, exposed nerve. Yes. Now, does that mean that I don't think people should be accountable or responsible for behaviors? Nope, not at all. What that means is just having a different, I think, awareness of an understanding so that when I can place boundaries where they need to be placed so that my nervous system feels safe and connected Mm -hmm. to also understand that it just might be even more difficult for someone else in their moments to be able to trust. Yes. And if you want to take that even one step further, you know, you say in raw, that is so true. And right now we are all raw because of just the circumstances of life right now and COVID and we're in red or or orange or whatever level of, Mm -hmm. you know, infection we're at. And I just think that we just, we just all need to be kind because I think every one of us is fighting with some level of wrongness and just to remember that, you know, it may not be the kindest thing to yell at the person in the grocery store because they didn't have the kind of um, toilet paper you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That is very true. You know, I did a training um, last Friday with an amazing group of what I now call revolutionaries at um, Owensboro Community and Technical College. And I did a training on trauma-informed practices through the lens of our nervous system. And I said, if, if the only thing that you walk away with today after these three hours that we spent together, here it is. I want you to tell yourself, I am doing the best I can. Yes. And that is enough. Yes. And if I believe that about myself, then I can extend the grace to believe that other people in our community, they too are doing the best they can. Yes. And that is enough. And we don't need to compare. Yeah. And we don't need to compare our best to somebody else's, right? Because everybody's everybody's nervous system is different. Yes. And that's and that's true with trust. You know, I am trusting to the best of my ability in this moment. And it's okay that whatever your best is, there is, you know, no set standard that it has to be at a different level. Mm-hmm. It's it's exactly as you said. You do the best you can each day. Mm-hmm. And that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. 
That's true. We only have 24 hours in a day. And out of those 24 hours, we need to be sleeping at least eight to 10. So that, you know, dwindled down, <laughs> you know, our time even more. But yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, this got really heavy today. Yeah. But, you know, I think it, it went where it needed to go. Mm -hmm. I do too. But I, I have to say, I was surprised at, and I want to acknowledge that there was some heaviness, you know, as, you know, you and I are trying to use our experience and our knowledge and share with your listeners um, and acknowledge that sometimes it gets heavy for us too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. The shit gets deep on a daily basis. It sure does. <laughs> Any final thoughts as we're coming to the close of our time together about trust or mistrust? <clears throat> it's still very abstract. Yeah, I don't think we cleared that up very well, did we? I mean, we, <laughs> we took a few stabs at it. Um, so <laughs> It's clear as mud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is a work in progress for everyone. And... Mm -hmm. As long as we do our best and that's all we can do. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think my final thoughts about our journey today and talking about this whew, very difficult topic um, is that trust is something that we can develop. We can earn. And we can begin to speak up for what we need from another person to be able to trust us. Yes. Well said. Thank you. And it takes practice, you know? Mm -hmm. It don't happen overnight. It does not. I wish. And I mean, we're both in our 40s and we're still trying to figure it out and learn. So. Heck yeah. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Well, Marcy, I just want to say thank you so much for taking time today to to Zoom with me so we could tackle this difficult subject. And um, I really appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom and your experience. And I'm sure our listeners are also um, enjoying that as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. And um, I do apologize for the barking in the middle. <laughs> So, oh, fish um, posh. <laughs> she, I guess, I guess Lola wanted to add to um, um, what she felt of trust. And obviously, she doesn't trust when a door opens. So, <laughs> there you go. See, that's right. Our dogs have nervous systems just like us, and so do our cats. Well, all animals do. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, I just want to thank our listeners for joining us on this rainy day and uh, I hope they have a beautiful rest of their month and begin to just think about what it means to trust and uh, until next time y'all stay frosty well we made it to the end of our episode we want to thank you for listening we also want to thank VOCA for funding our podcast VOCA stands for Victims of Crime Act 
This project was supported by grant number VOCA 2020, Green River 00026, awarded through the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet by the United States Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Cabinet or the U.S. Department of Justice. We also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Seth Hedges of Uriah Wild Media. He is the amazing individual who created the beautiful music for our podcast. We thank you so much, Seth. I'm going to encourage you to go check out his stuff. He's pretty talented and awesome. You can find him at www.uriahwild.com. That's www.uriahwild.com. And finally, we want to give a really special shout out to Rodney Newton for being our amazing technical advisor. He has spent several Saturdays and days throughout the week to help us get this podcast up and going. Rodney, you are our captain. And finally, we hope that you'll take something you heard today and change the world tomorrow. Join us next time on Start By Listening. And as always, please remember that New Beginnings is here for you to listen or help 24 hours a day. Just give us a call, 1-800-226-7273.